Is Anne here? I can't see Anne. Are you going to come and read the, the scriptures to us? Thanks, Anne. This morning's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God for his word. Hannah, come and share. Let's just pray with Hannah. Father, thank you for Hannah. Thank you for the blessing that she is to this fellowship. Thank you for the generosity of her heart and thank you for the sacrifices of her life. And Lord, we especially thank you for all that was accomplished to your glory last weekend among our young people. And Lord, I pray that you would bless Hannah now as she seeks to communicate your heart and mind and to speak from your word. Help us, Lord, to, to really take to heart, to listen and to be feasting upon you. For we offer our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's really nice to see you all and um, have an excuse to escape from university and come back. Um, last weekend, for those of you that um, don't know, we ran the Pure course for the young people, um, which was a course about relationships God's way um, and how we can have pure and godly relationships. Um, and I haven't really got time to tell you all about it, and I've been very negligent and not made a poster for the back of the church like I was going to. Um, so there's an amazing solution of why don't you talk to our young people and um, see how the weekend went, um, because I'm fairly sure that relationships, however many years ago, are exactly the same as they are for our young people today. So do encourage them and share some of your fun stories of your teenage years with them as well. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start this morning by telling you a little story. Um, I was preparing for this last week, um, and I was driving to Abergavenny, which is where my placement is at the moment. And if you don't stick to the speed limit and it's quite late at night, you can normally do it in about 45 minutes. However, on a Monday morning on the M4, it's a bit like a car park, and it took me about an hour and a half. And I was late for a meeting with my consultant, who isn't the most generous man I've ever met in my life. And... Um, 
I was driving along, and I quite, I don't mind commuting too much, because it gives me time to pray, I say, <laughs> being very godly there, um, and time out, um, so I'm driving along, and um, what are you doing, you idiot? And the guy next to me, that's waking some of you up at the back, hasn't it? <laughs> so this guy comes past me, so I, get, I finally pull out, and I'm driving along, pull back into the left-hand lane, like your space to, I'm sure you all do that on the motorway. And um, could I get back out around this lorry? No. So I'm still sat there in my car, swearing blind, going crazy, because I'm going to be late for this meeting. And um, sat there going, God, why are you doing this? I'm really tired. I've been doing this weekend, and I've got stuff to sort out for next weekend. Just, just give me a break. All I'm going to do is pull out into the next lane. And it was amazing. And I just felt God say to me, well, when I went to the cross, I still loved people. And I was like, oh... And there's a verse in Philippians that um, I feel like sticking to my dashboard that says that we should value others as more highly than ourselves. And um, I often need to remind myself of that when I'm driving. So I just thought I'd share a bit about myself there. Um, But I think as I go through what I prepared this morning, I'd just like you all to just keep in mind how we can be more Christ-like through through what I'm going to say. So this morning, I was asked to talk about finding God's hope in adversity and hardship. And when I first heard that that's what I was speaking on, I was a bit disappointed, actually. And um, that's because I've kind of talked about this before, and I felt a bit like, oh, you know what, I'd I'd quite like a new challenge, and quite like to talk about something happy for once, and (laughs) they're all going to think that this is all I ever speak about. But I tell you what, God was right again, and I've learned so much preparing this and so much from his word and so much from spending time with him and actually I I just hope that this morning that I'm sure a lot of you have heard what I'm going to say before but I just hope it will encourage you as much as it encouraged me to prepare it as well. So I thought we'd start by looking at what is adversity and sort of bat it around as a word and um, I read quite an interesting article that in a very scientific way, put adversity and hardship on a scale, um, which isn't necessarily a great way to do it for humans, but it works quite well for this purpose. And at one end of the scale was inconvenience. So something that's not suited to our comfort, something that isn't really in with our purpose or our needs. So a bit like me getting stuck on the M4 trying to get to, to the hospital. And... Um, But it's not necessarily something that's really going to challenge our life or affect our work with God or anything that's going to be particularly character-changing. So what comes next? The next step on the scale was problems. And problems are things that are a hindrance to us achieving our goal, our goal of walking with Christ. So they're sort of obstacles, really. And how do we overcome these obstacles? Well, I'm sure you all know, by being resourceful, and being faithful and being patient. So we've got inconvenience, problems. And then the final bit, at the other end, to inconvenience, was predicaments. So when we're in a predicament, it's outside of our power. It's not something that we can overcome with our own resources. And it encourages us to to turn to God and, and really to rely on Him acting and to rely on Him doing something to get us out of the mess. So I sat and had a bit of a think about this and thought, well, out of inconvenience, problems and predicaments, which is adversity? 
and you might all disagree with me, and that's fine, <laughs> but I felt that it was problems. That actually adversity is something, there's a bit of an obstacle to our walk with God, but that we can overcome with resourcefulness. So, if adversity is problems and things that we can overcome, if it's something that helps us be faithful, why do we struggle with it? We see in the Bible so many people say that they're joyful in their adversity and that they love suffering for God. And I read that and think, really? Maybe I'm just a really bad person because I don't really enjoy suffering. I don't really enjoy going through hardship. Why do we struggle? And I thought about this for quite a long time on the M4, going back and forth to Abergavenny, (laughs) which is quite a nice place. Because it opens us up to sin. And I thought, wow, I've never really thought of adversity like that before. I've always thought of it as challenging or something difficult. But I never thought of adversity as temptation. But it does. Adversity tempts us to doubt God. Adversity tempts us to question whether he's good, whether he's real, whether he's there. And I'm sure a lot of you have felt like that before, and I'm sure that that's something you get challenged with. If God is good, if God knows everything, if God is all-powerful, how can he be real? And the devil knows this. Satan comes to steal and to kill and destroy, we're told that in John, and he preys on that weakness and that temptation to not trust God that comes from adversity. We're tempted to worship idols. When things get hard, now, come on, all you women here, when things get hard and you've had a bad day and you've got shouted up at somebody over the customer service desk, or we go home and we get a big bar of chocolate, a bottle of wine for me, and a nice film, like Colin Firth in Pride and Prejudice, and we sit and watch it. Or guys, maybe if you're that way inclined, you go for a run or hit a punch bag or sit down and smoke your pipe if you're of that generation. You know, things... <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a very wide sweep, wasn't it? I'm sure there's something in the middle. But, um, <laughs> but there we go. I live with the younger end that go out and punch the punch bag. How do we deal with adversity? Well, we turn to idols. Sometimes our idols can be our spouse or our friends. And we looked a bit last weekend about turning to people we're in relationship with. And instead of working with that person to turn to God, we just rely on them. And we completely misplace our faith. And that's going to make it even harder. We're already struggling. And the more I thought about this, the more we can see that there are many temptations when we face adversity. Most of you know that I had quite a rough time when I was younger. And actually, during that time, I didn't really feel like helping anybody. Why should I help the children in Africa when I don't have any money? Why should I look after people when I'm having a rubbish time? Why should I be kind when I feel like curling up and crying? Wow. Convicted of selfishness. Looked at my friends. They've got families. They've got Christmas. They've got holidays. So what was I tempted into? Envy. I had a really good talk last Sunday. I gave to um, quite a, a sort of evangelical, very traditional church in the evening with some of my housemates, which was quite a contrast to the one I go to in the morning. And um, the preacher there was wonderful, and he was talking about 
um, worrying and using Matthew to look at how God really looks after us. And he provides. God provides. And yet we worry. We experience hardship. Maybe we lose our job. Or you don't get the job that you want. Like some of my friends haven't got the jobs that they want for next year. They're going to be doctors in areas that they couldn't give a fig about. Who wants their doctor to be like that? But what do you do? Do you start worrying about it? Do you start storing earthly goods? Do you start envying those that got the job? Do you start being selfish and thinking, well, why should I care about my patients? I didn't want this job. No. No, that's not what God calls us to. But it's so easy to do. And that's why we struggle so much with adversity, because we're tempted into envy and tempted into selfishness. So, if we find it so hard, and God knows that we're going to struggle with all these temptations, if he knows that we're going to turn away from him and misplace our faith and become not very nice people, then why? Why do we have adversity? And 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5 says that if we share our sufferings with God, then we receive his comfort. But that verse doesn't stop there. It says, if we receive God's comfort, we should go on to comfort others. Unfortunately, I'm not the same person I was when I was 14 and felt the way I told you before. And God's changed my heart and made me see that rather than using my hurt to hurt others, I can use my hurt to help others. And wow, isn't that an amazing opportunity? That we receive comfort from God. And I can stand here and say, yeah, during the hard times, God comforts. And some of you believe me, and some of you will say, well, it was like that last time, but not this time. But the Bible says it's true. And I know that sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but that's what we rely on, is God's word. And he says, actually, when you're struggling, I will comfort you. And then when somebody else is struggling, you need to share that comfort. You need to be in fellowship with one another. So why else adversity apart from receiving and giving comfort? We need to rely on God's strength, not just our own. And in our weakness, we turn to God. If things are going well, if everything's okay, if we're happy, and we've got the job we want, we've got the kids we want, and we've married the right person, and we're kind of bumbling through life, how often do we turn to God? And Paul says that God told him, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul goes on to say that he's going to boast in the adversity that he experiences. That when he is insulted, when he suffers hardship, when he's insulted and struggles with difficulty, that he's going to boast in that, so that Christ's power will rest on him. I think, wow, that's amazing. I've heard um, another sermon um, on, well, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and um, the, the guy there was warning about false humility, and he was saying how you can step down off of the pulpit or wherever and say, oh, it wasn't, God, it wasn't me, it was God, and, or the, the music, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me, it was God, and he said that actually we have to be aware of false humility and almost the fact that we reject the gifts that... God's given us by saying, oh no, it was God, not me. 
And it was an interesting sermon. I wasn't sure how I felt about it for a while, especially in the context of this, because to me, I feel like going through hardship is slightly different. I don't think there is false humility, because I'm not sure that God gave us the resources to get through the hard times on our own. He asks us to go to him and say, I'm weak, I can't do this, I'm broken, I can't do this, I need your power. And his power that's going to be made perfect in us. But we need to be weak to do that. Receiving comfort comfort and relying on God's strength. Why else adversity? To become more godly. I received a text off one of the youth this week saying how much they love Jesus and that they were just so excited by falling in love with him more every day. And I was like, ah, that's amazing. <laughs> and um, I just thought that was wonderful. Like, wow, what a transformation. What a change in somebody's character. What a moving towards Christ-likeness. And 2 Peter 1, 5-6 talks about how we supplement our faith and if you look at the list, which I'll read out if I've marked the right page, um, it says, For this very reason, do your best to add goodness to your faith. To your goodness, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. To your self-control, add endurance or perseverance. And to your endurance, <coughs> add godliness. So in that, endurance, perseverance, pushing through, all of those come before godliness. How many people do you know that persevered without hardship? There needs to be hardship so that we persevere towards a more godly character. Romans 5 talks about suffering producing perseverance, producing character. And in fact, Timothy 3.12 actually goes as far as to say that if we want to be godly, we will be persecuted. And that's a big challenge, isn't it? I'm not sure how godly I want to be if I'm going to be persecuted. And we stand there with our hands held high, singing, coming to church, offering everything we have. But do we really want to be godly? Are we willing to accept that persecution? Timothy talks about us training for battle, about being soldiers for Christ. Now bear with me while I tell you a little story. Now most of you know that I'm in the army and I get teased quite a lot because I'm not a real officer because I'm a medic and I'm not actually going to go and fight. But I have done my basic training, so I've had all my combat gear and my massive pack and my rifle. And um, when you're training to attack, you do something called fire pairs maneuver. So, um, Stephen and Josh, do you want to come with me for a second? Right. If you both stand here, face the clock. Okay, so Steve, go forward three paces. Okay, so Josh, you're pretending to fire. Okay. Yeah, okay. Now, Stephen, you pretend to fire. Yeah, now, Josh, you go forward to where Stephen is. Okay. And now, Stephen, you go forward. And Josh, you meet Stephen. There you go. Okay, so that's very basic. You can sit down now. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a very basic idea. So one person goes forward while they, their friend or their buddy covers, and then they move forward. 
And you go like that. Now, on this particular day, we were quite tired. We'd done um, eight miles the day before carrying all our, all our kit, kit and um, hadn't actually slept that night. And we were running uphill at, on this attack. And um, so my buddy gets down, starts firing, and I get up. And you've got three seconds up, run, down, because it takes two seconds for somebody to locate you with a rifle and one second for them to shoot you. So you don't really want to be up there for four seconds. <laughs> so, so you get up, you run, you drop down, and you roll so you're not in the same place that you were before. Okay, so my buddy gets up and runs. I'm firing. I get up stand on the sling that's holding my rifle to my chest and smack myself in the face. So I spent the rest of the day spitting blood. <laughs> Probably not the sort of person you want on a battlefield. <laughs> Possibly somebody you want in a medical centre. That one's we're not so sure about either. Timothy talks us about being soldiers of Christ. Now, you wouldn't take somebody like me and put me straight in Afghanistan because it would be a disaster. And God says the same. He doesn't ask us to walk straight into adversity and start preaching the gospel and knowing all the verses and knowing exactly how to minister to people. He says, train, wait with me, learn about me, know my character, know my name, know my scripture. And some of you might, some of you might not be with me because you're sleeping. <laughs> some of you might not be with me because you're thinking, well, you know, Paul said we, he was insulted and he was put down and persecuted and endured hardship. I'm, I'm not really doing that. I'm kind of bumbling through life and it's quite nice, really. And maybe for some of you, this concept of suffering for Christ, well, maybe you're too young to suffer for Christ. You've got other things on your plate. Maybe you're too old to suffer for Christ and you think, I've been there and I've done it and there's no way I'm choosing to do that again. I'm all right, thanks. Maybe for some of you, you're not holy enough, or you think, well, I'm not a missionary, or I'm not radical enough, I'm not an evangelist, I just don't learn scripture like that. I think sometimes we limit ourselves, and we think that suffering for Christ is when we undergo deliberate acts of persecution. John Piper described this in a really good way, and I'm now going to butcher his scenario and put it into my own words. He said, imagine with me, if you will, a missionary, a young man who is called to go out to Africa. And before he goes, he prays, prepares his heart, learns the word, learns new songs, learns to play the guitar, learns basic health care needs. And two weeks before he's supposed to go, he finds out that the village has been struck with tuberculosis, TB or consumption. And he decides to go out anyway. So he goes out to this village, and the people there are dying, and they're sick, and they're poor. And he ministers to them. He's learnt the word. He's learnt to love Christ. He's learnt how to show that. And then this man gets sick, and he contracts TB. And he gets really poorly. And he doesn't die, but it's touch and go. And the people around see how he ministers to them, even through his sickness. And they come to Christ. Now, most of you are thinking, well, yes, but I don't remember the last time I went on a plane. Never mind, I went to Africa. The thing is, is TB presents with a cough. And it presents with coughing up blood or sweating in the night, feeling unwell, 
tired, losing a lot of weight, please don't all run to your doctor and tell them that you have TB, because I'm sure most of you don't. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but the thing is, is I can quite easily tell you about another disease. And this disease presents with envy. And it presents with selfishness. It presents with greed and lust. And that disease is called sin. And we're all called to walk outside of our doors and go into the villages where people are dying and to tell them good news. We're all called to get on the bus and go to work or to go and visit friends in hospital or to enjoy our retirement around these people that are sick and dying of sin. So actually, if you're Christian, we're all called to suffer for Christ. I'm not going to end there, because I think that that's possibly not the most positive note to stop on. So I am going to go back to Jesus, because that's always a good place to go back to. Let's look at how he dealt with adversity. We've said, well, look, it's really hard, actually, because we're tempted into sin. We're tempted to worship, worship idols. We're tempted away from God. So how did Jesus deal with it? And 1 Peter 2, 21 <coughs> says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leading, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, let's look at what his steps were so we can follow him. Well, firstly, Jesus learned how to deal with temptation. He learned how to deal with that open door to sin. We know that Satan watches our hardship, and he looks for opportunities, and we're told that he prowls around our strongholds like a lion, just waiting to devour. Jesus knew that, and he rebuked him, and he learned the scriptures and prepared the way that we were looking at training. He says to his disciples in Gethsemane that we have willing spirits, but our flesh is weak. And I tell you what, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> Where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get up at an hour before placement and I'm going to pray. And the thing is, is that when you're getting up at six, then getting up at five to pray isn't such an enticing idea. <coughs> Sometimes our flesh is too weak. And Jesus says that the way through that is to watch and pray. That we watch so that he gives us guidance about what to pray for. That we're prepared and we identify things that we need his help with. What about training? Well, time and time again, we see that Jesus defends himself. He changes hearts. He worships his Father, all with Scripture. If we want to be more like him, then don't we need to know his word? Don't we need to know what to say? In Isaiah 50, with, that's part of something called the servant songs in Isaiah, and um, we're told that this servant, who Mark said earlier, is Jesus, has the tongue of disciples that he can sustain the weary. How can we sustain those? How can we comfort the way that we've been told to unless we know his word? Unless we've waited for his prompt, learnt his word, prayed into the situations? Jesus was obedient. In 1 Peter 2:23, the verse for, for this morning, it says that they hurled insults at him and he didn't retaliate. But more than that, Isaiah 50 says that he gave his back to those that would strike him and his cheeks to those who would pluck out of his beard and that he wouldn't turn his face away. 
And I love the phrase that he wasn't dragged to the cross. He crawled there. He says in Gethsemane, your will be done to the Father. But he doesn't say your will be done, great, okay, let's crack on with it. He goes to him sorrowful and troubled with his soul overwhelmed and he falls to the ground in front of him. How often are we honest with God in our adversity? How often do we come before him and say, I can't do this. This is too hard. And wait for him to turn around and say, no, it's not. I'm here. Don't worry. Jesus turned to others for help and fellowship. He asked his disciples to come with him and pray. And yes, perhaps they weren't very effective at that. But he asked for it. And in the same way we don't always crawl to God on our hands and knees, how often do you ring up your friends and say, it's not happening today. <laughs> you come over, make me a cup of tea. We wait for people to ask us if we're okay. We're called into fellowship to comfort one another, to communicate, to love one another, to walk through adversity together. We're part of one body and one church and one fellowship. Where's the comfort? Where's the walking through adversity together? And finally, let's go back to what I said at the start. Jesus went to the cross still loving us, still loving his people. How can we be more Christ-like? Let's carry compassion through our adversity. The end of today's verse says that we were like sheep going astray, but we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus was there at Calvary looking around and he saw people living lives in a way that he didn't intend, away from him, away from his heart, away from his tenderness, away from his compassion. And it broke his heart, and it broke the Father's heart. And throughout, he didn't forsake us, and he didn't leave us. That's hope. That's finding God's hope in adversity. That's what Romans says, that suffering gives perseverance, gives us that godly character, gives us hope, a hope of being with him in paradise. So we know adversity is hard. We know why we struggle with it. We know why it's going to help us. We know we need to comfort, to walk with the sick, and to show them the hope that we have through Jesus.